All right. A couple of weeks ago, I began a series of messages on relationships. We were trying to build up to this uh, conference we're going to have with Steve and Ann Creighton, and also it goes along with the discipleship series that uh, several of you are uh, participating in about building relationships. And we began two weeks ago. Uh, it was the day before Valentine's Day, and and I thought the most important relationship that we could have, of course, is the relationship between husband and wife. I mean, human relationships is a relationship between husband and wife. So I decided to start off by uh, preaching about marriage and uh, what marriage means and how that uh, uh, fits in as far as relationships were concerned. Um, I titled it Be My Valentine because it was the day before Valentine's Day and I just thought that would be a good way to talk about marriage and get started on it. And I, I could have t uh, titled it that uh, marriage is honorable because I used the verse Hebrews 13, 4, where it says that uh, marriage is honorable to all, to all people. Marriage is an honorable estate and, and uh, because God made it, amen? God created man and he created uh, women and he created marriage. And, and I shared with you that morning that there were six reasons that God created marriage and I didn't have time to go through all of them. I just went through the first two. Uh, you'll remember that the first one was for the union of men and women. Remember God said that it was not good for a man to be alone, that he would make a helper that was comparable to him. So he created man and woman. He joined them together, told them to have babies and populate the earth. We looked at Mark chapter 10 and verses 6 through 9, and I highlighted three things about that passage of Scripture that, first of all, that marriage is God's plan, not anybody else's plan. It was God's plan that marriage is between a man and a woman. I, it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. It doesn't matter what uh, modern uh, folklore, or whatever you want to call it, opinion is. God's the one that created marriage and he said it was between a man and a woman. And uh, number three, that marriage was to be permanent. It was to last forever. That divorce was a sin and that it was harmful to those that participated in it. And I shared with you that uh, uh, we don't all live in the ideal but that doesn't mean that the real isn't real. Amen? Uh, what's true is true. The second reason for God creating marriage was the multiplication of the human race. And 
I shared with you that uh, God did command them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and that was probably the only command that we've not had a whole lot of trouble with, that uh, uh, we've done a pretty good job of that. And that's where I had to end. So this morning I'm going to pick up on the third reason that God created marriage, and that was because for the protection of children, God created families and marriage for the protection of children. But before we go any further, let's pause for a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you, God, for your word and your teachings. And we do pray, Lord, that as we study, we learn from your word that you teach us, that you write these uh, truths on our hearts and that we might uh, always abide by them and to live, uh, devote ourselves to living by your word. And we just thank you for all that you do for us. We ask God that you be with us this morning. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. We all know that children grow up better. They grow up healthier they grow up stronger when they grow up in a stable family, when they grow up with both their mom and their dad at home. Why did God create marriage for the protection of children? Because when you're born, you're completely helpless. Amen? I mean, you can't do anything. You can't feed yourself. You can't dress yourself, you can't change your diaper, you can't even blow your nose, you can't even turn over. I remember when my kids were babies, what a big deal it was when they were able to turn from their stomach to their back. My wife came in and said, oh, she turned over today. They couldn't even do that on their own. Now, now let me tell you something. You're totally hopeless. You need your parents to take care of you, to teach you, to thank you, to uh, uh, train you, to provide for you. And I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a pediatrician. I'm not any of those things. But let me share with you what 150 studies made by all of those types of people and what they have all agreed upon. And this is the results of those 150 studies. It resu the results for children who don't grow up, do not grow up in a stable home with a mom and a dad. They are more likely to fail in school. They're more likely to not graduate from college. They're more likely to be involved in substance and alcohol abuse. They're more likely to experience uh, distress, depression, and suicide. They're more likely to do jail time. They're more likely to live their entire lives in poverty. And they're at a higher risk to divorce and have children outside of marriage. Now, I'm not saying those things. Those 150 studies 
that have been done say those things. Now, let me quickly say, though, that there certainly are exceptions. We're talking about statistics here, but every single study that has been done comes to the conclusion that kids do better when they grow up with mom and dad at home working together. Now, I know people who have come from much worse situations than what I described just then, and they have done fine. They have excelled. They have really made great things with their lives. I'm not saying that that's not an impossible thing to do, but what I'm saying is statistics prove that it's better for a husband and wife to to stay together and raise their children in a stable home. We all live on a broken planet and we all know that there are a lot of people out there not living the ideal life But as I've already said and will say again, because we do not live the ideal life doesn't mean that the ideal is not real. Amen? And uh, the goal for each and every one of us, God created marriage for the union of men and women, for the multiplication of the human race, and for the protection of children. The fourth thing, fourth reason God created the human race is for the perfection of our character. I want to spend some time on this. God created marriage for the perfection of our character. You do know it is in relationships that we learn to be unselfish and loving. And no relationship has a greater impact on our lives than that of marriage, living with a husband or living with a wife. Let me give you another uh, fact about you when you were born. Yes, you were totally helpless, but you were also totally self-centered. Amen? There's nothing on planet Earth that is more self-centered than a newborn baby. Actually, a newborn baby doesn't have the capacity, doesn't have the ability to think of anyone but himself. All it can do is think it's too hot or it's too cold, or I'm hungry, or I just pooped in my pants and I need to be cleaned, or I need something to drink. I want somebody to hold me. It's It's all about me, 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 and maturity, and the purpose of life is to grow up and realize It's not all about me. Amen? I mean, that's what life is all about. In fact, real happiness comes in 
giving your life, in being unselfish, in loving others and serving others. So the whole goal of life ought to be to grow from being a self-centered baby to being an unselfish, loving adult. Amen? That ought to be what the goal of life is. Do you know, let me ask you, do you know any adults that are still living like un, like selfish babies? Shake your head. You know the drill. Look, look intelligent. You're not supposed to hit him, Sandra. We know, we know. You don't need to... Proverbs, let me show you a passage of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. It's a little bit hard to understand, but let's look at it anyway. Proverbs chapter 18. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. In other words, a man who just thinks of nothing but himself, he seeks his own desires, he rages against all wise judgment. In other words, if you just think about yourself, you're not going to listen to anybody else. You think you're smarter than the whole wide world and you rage against anybody that has any other kind of an opinion. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. The only delight that he has is saying what he wants to say, thinking what he wants to think, doing what he wants to do. So how do I get out of that? Well, we have to grow out of it, and marriage is a lifelong course in how to be unselfish. Because when you get married, it's no longer about me, it's about we. Amen? When you're married, you come, you can't just think about yourself, you have to think about somebody else. It no longer is about me, myself, and I. How many of you who are married, how long did it take you to realize that you had to uh, learn to do what others wanted to do and not just yourself? Have you learned that lesson? didn't take me long, I'm telling you. I learned real quick that I needed to learn how to compromise, that I needed to learn how to consider others, that I needed to learn how to do what other people thought and had to consider what they thought. If you're married, the number one tool that God uses to build character in your life is your spouse. Amen? You say, what? How can he how can he use my I mean how how can that build character in my life? I was saying that to somebody one time and uh a young lady who was having trouble with her uh marriage and and I told her, I said, God is using this to build character. God is using him to build character in your life. And uh, she said, how can, 
How can he use him? He's not even a believer. He's not a Christian. I said, that's okay. Listen, listen. If God can use a jackass to teach a spiritual lesson to Balaam, he can use your husband to teach a spiritual lesson to you. Amen? I mean, that's just the way it goes. Or use your wife to teach a spiritual lesson to the husband. God can use just about anything to teach us and to help us grow. We, uh, we need to recognize that God allows these things to come into our lives not to just punish us, although sometimes he does that, but that's not the only reason. God allows these difficult situations and difficult relationships to come into our lives to teach us to grow up and to build our character. Uh, Write in your notes Numbers 2, Numbers 22. That's the story about Balaam and... uh, and his donkey. You ought to read that as you uh, have time because this is a tremendous story how God used that uh, silly donkey to teach uh, Balaam a tremendous truth. And I'm going to tell you something this morning that uh, I think I've mentioned it before. I don't know. But you ought to write it down. It's important. This is a profound truth. You need to write this down. Put it in your notes. Write it in the flyleaf of your Bible, but put it down somewhere. Don't forget this. Remember it. Are you ready for it? God is not as interested in making you happy as he is in making you holy. Can I say that again? We, we, we're all about wanting to be happy. But I'm telling you this morning that God is more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. And his desire is to make you holy. And he allows these things to come into your life to build your character. Because listen, one day if you're a believer, you're going to go to heaven. And you're not going to take your job to heaven. You're not going to take your home to heaven. You're not going to take your uh, um, bank account to heaven. You're not going to make uh, your athletic uh, uh, accomplishments. You're not going to take those to heaven. The only thing that you're going to take to heaven is your character. And God is concerned about your character more than anything else. His number one goal for marriage is to make us holy. Now, when I say holy, a lot of people have different ideas about what holy means. When I say holy, I'm not talking about God wanting you to become a monk in some cave in Tibet. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, ladies, you wearing no makeup and dresses down to your the floor and, and uh, uh, being plain and silent and 
always in the background. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about holiness, why God is desiring for you to become holy, what he wants you to do is to become more like Jesus. Amen? That's what it's all about, to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more forgiving, to be more understanding, to be more devoted. That's what God's desire for you is. And his number one goal to marriage is to make you more like that. He's talking about becoming a loving, caring, serving person, putting others first. Now, I know that that is radical. I mean, it's so counterculture, but guess what? As you allow those things to start to take up its place in your life, they will make you happier. I promise you. You will have more joy. You will love your life more when you allow that stuff to take place in your life, you're going to find new purpose and new hope and new enjoyment. And God's going to begin to conform you into his image. So God wants us to learn how to love, learn how to sacrifice, how to serve. Let me share with you a couple of verses in Romans 12 and verses 9 and 10. Romans 12 and verses 9 and 10. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, being fervent in spirit. 9 and 10, let me tell you what that really means. Let me put it down in just everyday language. When you love, love sincerely. Put the other person, love sincerely. Really devote yourself to that person. Hold on to what's good. Don't, don't, don't have slippery hands. Hold fast to the things that are good in life. Be devoted to each other like a loving family and excel in growing respect for each other. Do you do that in your marriage? Do you consciously make an effort to accomplish those things in your own marriage? Because out of that kind of love comes a connection that enables us to handle enormous amounts of pressure and stress. It enables us to overcome all obstacles that life can throw in front of us. It enables us to become more like Christ and use his power to... uh, Overcome. God made marriage for the union of men and women, for the multiplication of a human race, for the protection of children, for the perfection of our character, 
and for the construction of society. Marriage is the fundamental building block of all society. Every community, every church, every state, every nation, every empire, where it's all built upon strong and healthy families. If you know anything about history, you know when families are strong, strong cultures and nations are strong. And you know when families are weak and, and uh, uh, devolving, then the cultures and the nations are also in the decline. And when marriage is devalued, that decline is much more greater. I think, I don't know about you, but I think it's obvious the direction that our nation is headed. People don't put the same emphasis on marriage and on family as it was before. In the book of Proverbs, let me show you this verse. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 34, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Let me say that again. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Let me say it this way. Righteousness, when you do it God's way, exalts a nation. Sin, when you do it by popular opinion and whatever you want to do, that is a reproach to any people. So, let's go to number six, the last thing. I've got about five minutes. The last reason God created marriage is for the reflection of our union, it is a reflection of our union with Christ. Folks, marriage is a metaphor. It's a symbol. It's a walking, talking, living object lessons. One of the reasons I like uh, children's church when we get all these kids up here and the people, they always give them what's called object lessons. And uh, they, they try to paint it out for them, draw a picture of what the truth is that they're trying to get across. Well, marriage is a living object lesson of what our relationship with God is all about. And I'm going to show you one more passage of Scripture that's found in the book of Ephesians, starting in 22. Now, uh, starting in chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, this is counterculture. This is radical. A lot of you young people and young adults will think this is absolutely ridiculous. But let me tell you what God who created marriage, what he said about marriage. He said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by his word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of the flesh, of his flesh, and of his bones. For the reason a man shall leave his for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. See what he's saying here. What he's saying here, this is all true, but what he's saying is I'm not talking about husbands and wives right here. I'm talking about the church, that husbands and wives' relationship of marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. I tell you a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Like I said, I know that that goes against today's culture. But that doesn't mean it's not true, folks. That's not, that doesn't mean God is the one that created marriage and he did it for these six reasons. Now, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you something else. Do you know what the Bible teaches about heaven? Did you know that Jesus said there'll be... He goes through all of this. Marriage is for a reason. It's ideal. It's what he put us here for. But he says when we get to heaven, there's no marriage. There's not any marriage in heaven. You'll know who your husband was. You'll know who your wife was. But you won't be married in heaven. There's no marriage in heaven. Jesus said that twice. No marriage in heaven. Why? Why did he go through all of this if there's no marriage in heaven? Because he did it for a reason. In fact, he did it for six reasons. I just shared those. And we don't need any of that in heaven. We'll love one another. We'll be grown up and mature in our understanding and in our commitments to one another. Yes, yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. I want to be with you in heaven. I do. And I will be. But we just won't be there as husband and wife. We'll be there with every... I mean, we'll have that same relationship. But here on earth, God's plan, God's design, one man, one woman, forever. That's what marriage is. And what does it do? It teaches us to become more like Christ. Hear me say, in front of all of these witnesses, hear me say, I'm a better man today because of this young lady right here. You hear me? I'm a better man today because of We've been married 21 years. Happily married for maybe 18, 19, 20. 
there have been a few days every year. There have been some days every single year that we've been together. There have been some days that we weren't happy with one another. Is that true? Yes, yes, yes. That we were. But during those times, as well as the great days, God uses that to teach me and help me to become a better man. We're dealing with relationships. The greatest, the number one relationship is between husband and wife. And you're going to be better. Ladies, you will be better ladies. Men, you will be better men when you come together in God's plan, in God's design as husband and wife. Your children will be better children as you stay together as husband and wife. Your church will be a better church when we emphasize the importance of marriage and family and being together as husband and wife. Uh, our communities will be stronger. Our state will be stronger. Our nation will be stronger if we build strong families. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you and we thank you, God, for your goodness. I thank you for these folks here today and I ask your blessings on Everyone, I pray, God, that you would teach us, that you would make available to us these wonderful relationships. Lord, I pray for those that uh, are not. God, I know that your grace is sufficient, and I know that your forgiveness is all-encompassing. I ask, Lord, that you be with each and every one of us. Help us to know, help us to know that each and every one of us have fallen short in one area of our life as a, or another. And we can come to you and your grace is available to us and able to cleanse us from unrighteousness. You forgave our sins on Calvary's cross and offered a new life and a new hope and a new understanding through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you speak to the hearts of people today. Help us, God, to call on you and turn to you and to be faithful to you in every area. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.